separatists, and loyal guards. Activate your night vision goggles, prep your most colorful smoke bomb, and look, Mummy, the television is full of violence again. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Talk tall to me. Uh, ready to activate talk tall to me? Over. Talk tall to me is a go. Is a go. Proceed with talk tall to me. Uh, coming in for talk tall to me, and talk tall to me is hot, and we're going. Proceed. Over now. Welcome back. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A fast-paced shock and awe raid in the primetime of Prog Rock in which Neopack Nick and observational post-omen keep our eagle eyes on the infrared radar to break down the defenses of every single track that surgically precise rock band Jethro Tull has ever released. Song by song, track by track, we will take strategic advice from Maquis Martin Barr, read every report from public affairs officer David Pegg, and whip up a memorandum of agreement with Mark Craney, all in the hopes that Ian Advanced Echelon Anderson will be gentle when he deploys his armor-piercing flute at our hearts. Yes, no, no amount of armor can protect you from that flute. No, it just keeps upgrading. He is always one step ahead of us. Yeah. No matter how much intel we have on Ian Anderson, he will persevere. He's moved on to digital flute warfare. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a bad scansion on that. He's moved on to digital flute warfare. Digital digital flute warfare. I don't know. I could. I would go with... I don't know. <laughs> Nick. Oh, man. Big, exciting episode today. We are jumping in to a, not only a brand new album, but a brand new decade. Oh, and my goodness. And a brand new group of musiciones, that as they say. Indeed, we are. However, before we get into that, I would like to talk a little email, shall we? I'm sure you would. Oh, classic. Classic Nick wanting to talk email. Marley. I've set up a perimeter outside the recording booth. Thank you, Marley. Keep keep the kittens away. Do not hurt them, but keep the kittens away, please. A man disguised as a pizza delivery man will never see the light of day again. Oh, is this is this a threat or did this happen, Marley? I ate the pizza. Oh. To test it for poison. And it's it's good. It, oh no. Okay. I'm gonna have to clean that up. All right, so we're going to dive into an email here. This is from a new writer inner. This is from DB. DB writes in, I just recently found your pod. It is very nice to hear some tall talk. I first met Mr. Jethro when I was 12, and my older brother brought home Stormwatch. He played it, and I remember that I thought that the flute was silly. I was into heavy metal, and flute in rock seemed strange. He said, you have to listen to this several times. He played the opener to North Sea Oil again and again, and after a few times, I had to admit that it kind of stuck. I am 55 now, but I found Jethro Tull for real when I was 18. Visiting my older brother to record the album Wish You Were Here, 
he recorded Stormwatch on the other side of the cassette tape. It became a band I played in the car when I was a little sick and tired of the rest. One day, I just realized how damn good it was, and I bought all of their previous records. That completely changed my life music-wise. I'm so glad that I found this music. Today, I can't imagine how empty my life and the world would be without Ian Anderson's music. I started listening from the beginning of your pod, then jumped around a little. Now I try to follow weekly and jump around so that I won't miss a chance for my input. I like your humor, and it's always interesting to hear other people's views on the music. Sometimes you show me another angle, and sometimes I smile at your stupidity. Thanks for what you're doing. <laughs> DB. Well, thank you, DB. Tusentak for listening to us, and we love our our Nordic listeners, and we also smile sometimes at our own stupidity. So you're in good company there. Frequently. Frequently. <laughs> so that is it for email. As Omen said, we are getting into a new album. The album is A, the album that was supposed to be Ian's first foray into solo. We'll get into details more on that. For Just for this week, we're going to dive into really just personnel the new set of people making up this music that we're going to start listening to for the next two months. Yeah, as we've said, as we spoke about sort of at length in the last number of episodes, obviously there was the tragic death of John Glasscock, the bassist. Uh-huh. Barrymore Barlow was so upset that he took a took his leave from the band and Dee Palmer and John Evans also went their own way and you know how that happened there's there's some conflicting reports about but but at the end at the end of the day it was ian and martin left in the band and even martin wasn't supposed to be in the band it was only when when ian decided that he needed some guitar that he reached back out to martin said i need a guitar on a couple of tracks martin begrudgingly came back and he stuck around for for the bulk of it you know, I, I, I'm i sure that it was a frustration or a, or a disappointment for Ian to have to release this as a Jethro Tull album rather than yeah. a solo album. But I wonder if it hadn't been released as a Jethro Tull album, if Jethro Tull, the band, would have gone forward or if it would have just transitioned to be. I mean, that was such a huge rupture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For the band. You know, I really I really wonder if, if releasing it as a Jethro Tull album saved Jethro Tull as an entity. It's it's certainly interesting to speculate about in terms of the longevity of the band and really the 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 sound arc for where where Tull went and where Ian's later solo stuff went. Yeah, definitely. It's it's yeah, it's really interesting to speculate. But for this album, for A For a what? For a album that we're listening ah, to. We have Ian Anderson on vocals and flute. Martin Barr on guitar, formerly of Fairport Convention, Richard Thompson's band. We have Dave Pegg on bass and vocal harmonies. And mandolin. And mandolin. Mark Craney is on drums. And don't you forget it, special guest Eddie Jobson on keyboards and electric violin. He was so insistent that he be special guest. No joke. Like, we'll get into it later, but boy, howdy. Interesting. Songs are by Ian Anderson, with additional musical material by Eddie Jobson. Mm -hmm. Arrangements by Ian Anderson, produced by Ian Anderson and Robin Black. 
recorded at the Maison Rouge Studios in London and at home, at Ian's home with the Maison Rouge Mobile Studio. Oh, interesting. Engineer was Robin Black. Second engineer was Lee Mantle. The album itself was released on August 29th in 1980. Mm -hmm. It peaked at 25 in the UK and 30 in the States. Which, you know, I know that there's a lot of shade, as the kids say, thrown at this album. You know, it's not necessarily a fan favorite with a lot of diehard early tall fans. Yeah. But coming in 25 and 30 is not bad. I suppose. What is it? Top 100? Well, it's top 30. It's well, I'm saying out of what? It's top 30. 25. <laughs> out of everything. Oh, out of, well, yeah, I guess so. Out of everything. Yeah. Probably out of a hundred. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, for, for such a, for such a drastic change and granted there was still some level of like, oh, well, this is Jethro Tull. I'm going to buy this album. You don't really know the sound that you're going into, but, but still, I mean, you, there, there were a couple of singles that went out that sounded very different from Stormwatch. So. So that's that's it for A overall for now. We'll get more into the details of the album as we go on. But we are, I am at least, I will speak for myself, very excited to talk about the, to listen to and talk about the first song in this album and this whole album. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of this album. And Nick, what is that very first song? That first song is Crossfire. It was recorded May 18th, 1980 at Poplies with Maison Rouge Mobile Studio. So Poplies is the name of the manor that, that we, we've heard that name a couple of times. It's the name of the manor that Ian, it was Ian's home at the time. Understood. Take Three was the master for this track. Wow. It was written literally the day after mm. the Iranian embassy in London was attacked. Mm-hmm. It, and it was inspired by the SAS rescue of the hostages at that time. They were the band was actually in the studio at home rehearsing when Shona ran in and pulled them all in to watch it live on television. Wow, and we'll talk a little bit more about that after we listen to the song. Yeah, let's have a listen. Woof. Nick McGill. Wow. I am caught in the crossfire of sounds that just came through my headphones. I got I got caught in the crossfire as well. And honestly, I came out the better for it. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, is this a sound that does anything for you? It's fun. Yeah. It's a really fun, funky song. I, I never really thought much about it. It never really struck me until... Really, just this listening, and I've, I've listened to this a handful of times, but just this listening, there's nothing markedly untull in this song. You know, there's nothing that, that makes me say, oh, this shouldn't have been a Jethro Tull song. There's nothing that makes me say, oh, man, they got rid of all of the, the, the musicians. Now it's not Tull. Like, this is Jethro Tull to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, it's interesting we did a little review of the album Walk Into Light, which was Ian's official first solo album, which came out a couple of years later. Uh, 83, I think, yeah. 83. And and that really does sound untull-like yes. to me. Yeah, yeah, that is suitably an Ian Anderson solo album. Yeah. But this, yeah, I agree. I think this sounds like tall. And I love this sound. It's good. It's really, really good. It's a lot of fun. Call me a trashy 80s baby, but I 
I said, call me a trashy. Oh, okay. Yes, daddy. Um. (laughs) But I, I love the, I love the synth sound and I do, I can't understand why it was such a shock, you know, going, going from practically no synth to this synth sound. Right. And I can understand people saying like, oh, it's twee, it's, it's silly. And there is a silliness to it. But I think that for me, that brings an appropriate lightness to contrast some of the really heavy topics that are discussed in this album and this song in particular. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. This is, this is the start. This song is the start of an album that is really rife with, with topical commentary as opposed to like blanket social commentary. And there were a lot of topics on which to comment. Yeah. But what, I mean, when's the last time we heard anything that was so, specifically topical i mean the the first thing that comes to mind is for michael collins jeffrey and me which was in 71 right oh you mean so when you say topical you're you mean speaking about a particular specific event rather than specific themes that that were kind of in the air yeah yeah it's Mm. it's this event happened not climate change or totally, or totally. economics or things like that yeah i think there were probably references to specific events in some of the songs that sure that you know, either we didn't catch or they were just, you know, fairly subtle. Uh-huh. But no, you're right. This is a song about a thing that happened. Right. Right. Which which we see, we're going to see more and more of. And I kind of like it. I kind of like commentary, Ian, as opposed to to kind of a little more general, Ian. It's a nice, it's a nice change of pace from what we've seen for the last couple of albums. It's, it is cool. It's a, it's a different tact. A different tact. It's a different tack, <laughs> but it's a uh, it's refreshing and it's fun. Let's talk musically here for a second. Sure, sure, sure. We get nice. I'm sure it's it's keyboard synthesizer, but we start out with a nice, fun piano run. the The bass jumps right in immediately after. That intro is really disorienting for me. I think it's because of the way that the chord structure is. It sets you up to to hear one. It sets you up like it's going in one direction, and then it instead of a instead of a key change of like going up a fifth, it almost drops down. Yeah, I'm yeah, not I hear pretend that. Like I know the sound science behind it, but it it does set you up with a little bit of disorientation. Yes, like almost the musical floor drops out from underneath you. And it's, it's a little manic too. It's a little, it's very quick and it's, it's, there's a a lot going on. So you start out right out of the gate. So you're, you're immediately trying to, to process what's going on. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Which again is very thematically appropriate for this song. Yeah. You were mentioning David Pegg coming in on the bass. Very good bass. Very, very solid bass in here. Absolutely. It's very prominent. It's very forward. There's something wonderful about Peg's playing, which distinguishes itself from both Glasscock and Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson was, as we've mentioned, very serviceable on the bass, you know, very practical. Yeah. John Glasscock had obviously that incredible, fluid kind of walking, almost poetic, melodic bass playing. The the impression I'm getting from David Pegg's bass playing is that it's very structural. Sure. Yeah, he sort of sets up these big structures within the sound, within the song that that everything else can rest on. Uh huh. But it's not just providing like a doom, 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 doom underneath. It really is like creating this incredible space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's there is there is substance to it. It's it's dimensional, and it's it's it and it's it's so 
don't know if it's just the mix or what, but it's very prominent. It's very, very forward and it, it works. It works well Massive in that bass. regard. Yeah, it's it's meaty. It's a meaty bass. Martin's guitar is delightful in this. Very, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's lost none of his Martinness. He does he 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 gives us a variety of sounds in here. It's not just wanging away. I mean, there's there's plucks, there's strums, there's 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 wangy hits, but there's also it's pulled back at times. He he really he gives us a full he's he's got such a, a palette of sound for us here that that he he dips into and, and kind of splashes with color here and there and and it all works well. Whenever you catch it, it's like just a little off or just a little forward. But it all it all fits and flows perfectly. If you weren't paying attention to it, it's not it's not jarring at all. It doesn't it it's not bothersome, you know. I actually I actually barely noticed the guitar on my listen really of this yeah because I was so listening to the keys I was yes. really taken yeah. with those little synthesizer boops in the chorus. Oh my god, <laughs> I wrote bew bew boo boo bew. That's what I wrote yeah. down to represent that sound. Yeah, so I like, good. I, I love the sound when it's caught in the crossfire. Pew, pew. It's it's so good. It's very consistent. It's it, it runs throughout, but it's 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 silly and it's fun and. And it works. It works. Like you said, it's a little, it's a little silly, but it's a little lightness for the the heaviness of the, the context itself. Even in Ian's voice, there's this sense of of a lightness to the sound that I find very refreshing. And maybe it's because we're coming off of Stormwatch, yeah, where there was that heaviness that pervaded everything in the entire album. Everything, yeah. And presumably at the time of recording, Ian was like, "This is it. This is my solo album. Yay!" And so there was maybe a sense of freedom or a sense of having shed kind of an itchy snakeskin. I'm very curious. Like a lizard. Like a lizard. I'm very curious where where he was in the process before it, it was like it came down from above that this is going to be a tall album. How many songs were recorded? What changed if anything, musically, contextually, editing wise, yeah. what changed when when that decision was made? You know, it's I, I wonder where how much of a switch was flipped, you know, if anything, if anything. My impression you know? is that it was pretty late in the game, like really post recording everything, because, you know, the way that all the literature talks about it is that it was kind of after the recording. When, oh, OK. When Terry Ells said, hey, you know what? Actually, we need to release this as a tall album. Because it was it was released this as a tell album, not record this as a tell album, or finish recording this as you know what I mean. Yeah, that's true. That's but you're right. That's at some true. point, I mean, they must. At what point it was in the process would cause different things to be or not to be. Yeah, that is the question. That that genuinely is the question. Yeah, there's some fun little warpy sounds that actually get put on Ian's voice toward the end. Oh. Did you did you clock that? I did. I did not. I did not. Maybe no. I was confusing them with the warpy, the warbly um, synth sound. But I'm pretty sure there was actually a, an effect on his voice on the fade out. Huh. Okay. I'll listen to it. I'll see. if I if I can find something, I'll drop it in there. Almost like an early auto tune. Oh. Oh, maybe. 
Oh, that you said it's in the fade out? I think it's around there. Let me see if I can find something. I hear what you're saying. I think it's just uh I think it's just Dave Pegg. I think it's the the fact that we're not used to hearing someone singing that's not Ian, even if there are five people singing. Oh, oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah. I think I think point. it's just Dave Pegg down down there, uh further down the 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 octave. How far down is he? I mean, he's far enough. <laughs> Shall we jump over into the content and the lyrics of this song? Yeah, let's uh, let's listen to it from the the bard's lips. This is from a 1980 concert from June 20th. This was live at the Hammersmith Odeon in London. Wow! So really, really, just after it was released, only a month or two. Right there, yeah, right in the beginning. The concert opened with Black Sunday, and the next track was Crossfire. And we'll listen mm. to Ian's intro to that song. Here's another new one. This one deals with the, the freeing of the hostages from the Iranian embassy in London. Called Crossfire, Crossfire. Wow. So, you know... It's so good to hear these little clips, Nick. I love when you bring these in because there's so much rich information in there. Crossfire! <laughs> Everyone was jazzed about the freeing of the hostages. Sure. Great. Yeah, they, they cheer for that. I'm assuming they're cheering for that and not knowing precisely that that's the song that he's going to sing. You know, is are they, say, are they cheering for Crossfire? Oh, yay, he's going to sing Crossfire now. Or was that in response to... Yay, freed hostages. My impression based on that clip was that, and, and based on the sort of preliminary research that I'd done on this, is that because, okay, so let's let's kind of jump back here. Yeah. On the 30th of April, six armed gunmen stormed the Iranian embassy, which was on Prince's Gate, South Kensington. Okay. And they took 26 hostages, uh, including a police officer, and the embassy staff, some visitors, and and the they had demands. Okay, they were Iranian Arabs from the from a province in the south of of Iran, and the exact political kind of their goals. I'm still not super clear on, even having read the article about them, because it's just so convoluted and 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 wacky. But they basically had this set of demands, including the release of a bunch of prisoners and their own safe passage out of the UK. And the British government, led by the very newly elected Maggie Thatch, oh, okay, Margaret Thatcher, said, "Absolutely, the f not." And that hostage situation dragged on until the fifth of May. Yeah, six days. So it was this very, very long, drawn-out thing, and the the Iranian. Militants were getting increasingly frustrated. They ended up killing one of the hostages and throwing the body out onto the street, you know, in this horrifying display. This whole thing was very, very much in the public eye. I think that television was a a medium which was becoming more and more prevalent at this time. And so the images of this thing happening were plastered everywhere. More and more people were able to see this than any previous instance. Sure, sure. And what eventually transpired was they... The government sent this special operations team from the roof down, rappelled down on on ropes, broke through the windows, and had this super aggressive, fast assault 
rescued, I think, all but one of the hostages, t- killed five out of the six of the gunmen, and it all happened live on television. Yeah, that that was not terribly common at that point. No. I mean, nowadays everything happens and is recorded, but but right, exactly. I, I can I can imagine how how shocking and and memorable and life-changing seeing something like that could be. Well, to to that point, it was seen as a as a huge victory for Margaret Thatcher specifically and the special the special forces regiment which was the special air service, the SAS. Uh-huh. When they undertook Operation Nimrod, which is what the thing was called, in the months afterwards, they saw a huge surge in applications to the SAS. Sure. Everyone saw this on TV and thought, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Yeah. Serve England. I wonder if the Navy saw something similar when they got bin Laden. You know, oh, with the SEALs? Yeah. The SEAL teams? I imagine so. I think that, you know, even though, even though it was such a different circumstance, I'm sure there was a, a huge... I think there has been a big resurgence of interest in the in the Navy SEALs yeah. since that, you know, was made so public. Yeah, the romanticization of it a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Make sure that the SEALs buy you dinner Bef- first. Really? Yeah. I I mean, they they'll take you out to Outback, but they'll, probably they'll not. take they'll take you out. They'll take you out back. Yeah. <laughs> so this so with all that context in place. Yeah. And obviously, you know, this happened before we were born. Five years. Five years to the day. April 30th, 1985 was my birthday. Oh, look at that. Yeah. You were... And 40 years to the day when Hitler committed suicide. Okay. (laughs) That's how I remember my dates. (laughs) That's how I remember my birthday. Yep. (laughs) Let's see. Hitler, 45. Add 40 years, 85. Okay, I was born in 85. Yeah, Yeah. nice. (laughs) So let's let's dive into the lyrics. Spring yeah. light on a hazy May and a man with a gun at the door. Spring lights in a hazy May and a man with a gun at the door. He's really laying out the scene in a in a very like you kind of said a very literal way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's still got kind of a little poetry there but but it is it is statement of fact more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, someone's crawling on the roof above all the media here for the show. I've been waiting for our friends to come like spiders down ropes to free fall. Someone's crawling on the roof above all the media here for the show. I've been waiting for our friends to come like spiders down ropes to free fall. Ooh, it's, I mean... The way that he kind of weaves these these stark, clinical, almost, I mean, very, very, very violent images. Yeah. A 30-round clip for a visiting card, the way he weaves that into this into this sense of poetry and and romanticization. What is that? Romanticization? The romanticizing. Yeah. Yeah, the following line. A 30-round clip for a visiting card, admit one to the embassy ball. Yikes. Ooh. I'm literally getting chills talking about it. It's to to think to think that this was a real thing that happened. And I know stuff like this happens all the time 
probably more and more in terms of like people attacking and and I don't think it happens and, that often. Well, not not specifically like embassies and stuff, but like coups happen all the time. People fight. The we are certainly much more aware of it. But when you get something so so visceral like mm. this, it's such, it just feels so much more effective than like, oh, did you hear the news? This happened. And then you're like, yeah, well, that happens. And I also think that us having grown up being born in the 80s, you know, we've seen all of the action movies that came out of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Where, where it was this kind of thing all the time. Fair and enough. Think, you know, in 1980, there hadn't been that many, you know, that kind of an image. Again, just going back to the profound effect that it had on its on the viewers, including apparently one Ian Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is, this is die hard. You know, this yeah. is, this is those where, yeah. where the, the foreign country is the bad guy or the bad, the bad guy is from a foreign country and therefore he then represents the entire foreign country. Right. And what's, I think is fascinating about this is that in typical Anderson fashion, it's not so cut and dry. Yeah. He's setting up, he's almost setting you up for the trap of, oh yeah, the good guys and the bad guys and the good guys win. And there's this whole kind of, you know, swashbuckling maneuver that's happening. But at the same time, the chorus is caught in the crossfire. You know, there's this, there's this kind of like epic struggle going on. And the viewer, the singer is just like, just literally on the ground waiting for it to pass. Right. Yeah. 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 He, he's a hostage. There's only so much he can do when the good guys, quote, quote, unquote, and the bad guys are fighting probably literally over him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a soul with an innocent face, a regular boy dressed in blue. I'm just a soul with an innocent face, a regular boy dressed in blue. I wonder if he's kind of taking on the role of the policeman. That's what it feels like, yeah. Conducting myself in a proper way as befitting the job that I do. Yep. They came down on me like a ton of bricks when they attacked the, the policeman. Conducting myself in a proper way as befitting the job that I do. They came down on me like a ton of bricks. It sounds like one of the, the people who were held hostage, yeah. Yeah. You know, even and looking at this, I do think that there is a bit of a shift in the writing style from Stormwatch. Oh, d yeah, certainly. We talked a little, I, I keep going back to uh, our walk into light, which you can listen to if you subscribe to our Patreon. Boom. But we talked about, you know, the, the difference of the look of the lyrics on the page as opposed to tall lyrics. This, there is a shift between something like North Sea Oil. Yeah. Where, where there's a lot of white space. This is like, a solid column of text all the way down in big, huge blocks. Yeah, it feels a bit derivative to say, but it is less poetic in the sense that you don't have staggered sizes of lines. You're there's not really he's not really playing with scansion too much here. It's it's really just delivery of this tale, and it's I'm, I, in no way am I complaining about that. It's just it's just a very different approach. Yeah, it it is. I mean, there is. There's some there's some playing with rhythm within the lines. Yeah. There's some swinging on the ropes. Is that a reference to like spiders down the ropes to free fall or was that yeah, just I was making, a... Yeah, I was making a joke. Okay. <laughs> was it a good joke? It was not. No, 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 no it wasn't. No. Anything else particular stick out for you in, in the lyrics? 
You know, I think there's a lot of there's so much contrast in the lyrics. I think in the in the final verse, there's this there's this contrast that he sets up between calm reason floats from the streets below. And, you know, because in this situation, they were trying to negotiate and trying to negotiate right. and trying to negotiate and not able to get, you know, they made it, everyone made a couple of little concessions here and there, but they weren't get to a place, they weren't able to get to a place where they could resolve it peacefully. Yeah. And so there's this, there's this kind of double simultaneous process of like, oh yeah, there's these very calm, very reasonable talks going on. And simultaneously, somewhere there's a Brownings in a two-hand hold, cocked and locked, one up the spout. Somewhere. Also, to to pair with calm reason floats from the street below and the slow fuse burns through yes. the night. Calm reason floats from the street below and the slow fuse burns through the night. The longer it lasts, the more concessions are are pulled away or or denied and the more tense it gets. Yeah. And until until it 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 erupts and in which it did. It took 6 days, but it did. And whether or not Ian meant this to represent more than the event itself, I do think that there is a lot in this song that is thematic of that period of time. I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking about the Cold War, but there is this sense of this, you know, kind of like on this side of things, we have the calm reason and right behind we have the dagger <laughs> ready to go. You know, this this kind of cloak and dagger politics, this tense, tense, tense negotiations and real lives on the line. Yeah. We're entering a very tense period of politics. Also, J-Man CeeLo on the Discord just posted, still waiting patiently for A. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jay, you are going to, let's see, today is the 25th of January. You are going to have to wait a month and a half. This drops on March 8th. Nick, anything else to say about Crossfire? I think that's it for me. It's the start of a new era. It is. It's the start of a new approach to music. It's the start of a new sound. I like it all. I'm very excited for this album. Andy, the the thing I'm most excited about is there's only one single bonus track. (laughs) (laughs) So far. So far. Yeah, right, right. Now, Nick, when you you initially listened to this song, did you think that it was about the game... From the 90s crossfire? I did not. I didn't know what it was about. Yeah. But I can I can confidently say that I did not think that it was about crossfire. It's sometime in the future. The ultimate challenge. Crossfire. Crossfire. That game was amazing. For anyone who was not lucky enough to play it, it was basically a plastic arena. Arena. Yep. And you had two or or four. Two. Two BB guns. Yeah. <laughs> Mounted on either side, <laughs> which fired quarter-inch ball steel ball bearings into the arena. Hitting these like little these bigger ball bearing targets that you want to knock into your opponent's. Or knock them out of the ring. 
I th- I think the I think you had like a little pit in between each opponent, so you wanted right, to knock right, them right. into the 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 opponent's pit. It was wildly unsafe and so much fun. It it's you couldn't you could in no unless you broke it off you couldn't like shoot the BBs in anywhere but the 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 swivel into the the pit the arena. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean it, it was about as dangerous as hungry hungry hippos. I'm sure. Here you go, kids. You like ball bearings? You're gonna love this. It was it was the 80s and the 90s. There was there were very few safe toys back then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we played with sticks for Christ's sake. <laughs> that was the safest thing we could do. Omen, if this song were a decidedly antiquated or outdated piece of fashion, ooh, what would it be? Okay. I'm thinking of the style that was kind of around during this this period, the kind of pre-grunge style. You know, you had the you had the like the late post-disco bold color block patterns. Okay. But then you also had this kind of militaristic, almost what am I thinking of? You know, when the army has too much of something, army surplus. Oh sure. Sort of army surplus fashion. So I'm sort of imagining like like a like an outdated, maybe 1960s era army coat but like okay then filled up with all these colorful pins and things okay just like buttons and pins you're saying yes but also like you know some gold lame on the epaulets what do what do the pins represent well they say things like save the whales and- oh like that kind of stuff okay yeah okay all right i like it Omen, do you know, you may actually know this. Do you know what the next song is? Stop. Yeah. Let me think. What comes after Crossfire? Mm. Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, I know it. Next week, we will be listening to and subsequently talking tall about Filingdale Flyer. That is right. Not Flyingdale Flyer, which I always thought it was. I always thought it was, too. I even have... Difficulty saying Filingdale. I know. Not a, not a train like Omen thought it was. Nope. But we'll get into it. Until next week, you can be spiders down the ropes into free fall into our embrace as we accept you into our family on the Discord. And to do that, all you need to do is subscribe to our Patreon. $5 a month. Get you access to our Discord, get you access to two separate additional podcasts a month. While we are holding your ears hostage, we have very simple demands. All we want is five stars and a positive review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Until next week, I am cocked and locked and one-up the spout, Nick McGill. I am hoping to go to the embassy ball, Omen said. We have swept you off of your feet like a ton of bricks, the feckless moms. And this is the slow fuse that burns throughout the several-year period. Talk tall to me.
Oh, wow. Look at all this stuff. I, I've i never seen this much rope before. Agent Sampson. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, yes, uh, Sergeant Sergeant McDonough. What What is it? I'm here. I'm ready. S- step away from that edge, uh, Sergeant. But it's so far down. I know, I know. You, here's, here's one thing I'll tell you. I've done a lot of these missions over the years, and here's one thing. You never look down before you jump. Oh. It's just asking for vertigo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely almost fell twice already. Yeah. Uh, have you, uh, you checked your, you checked your magazine? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's Prague Magazine. I get it once a month. Yeah, great, that's it's good to have something to read while well, it's before the perfect time to go. Uh, we're, we're leaving fairly soon, right? Right, Sergeant? Uh, you know what? You know what? You know what, Sergeant? I'm a Sergeant. I'm a Sergeant, too? You <laughs> Frank doesn't matter out here in the night. Oh. The only thing that matters is when you're ready to go, when you have to go, you're going when you're ready to go, not before. You go when you say go. I I think I'm Don't ready. Don't go. Oh, okay. You ready to go? Yes. Speaking of being ready to go, have you checked your, uh, you, do you have your, your tactical diaper? Uh, it is, it has been used, but I have it. Oh boy, that, that's something, something I learned early on. Always got to make sure you got a spare tactical diaper on these missions. You never know when you're gonna have a code brown. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'm taking notes. Get that pen out of here. Oh, you never bring a pen on these missions. You can poke your eye out, or you can fall into the hands of the enemy, and then they can write down mean things about you. <laughs> you, you sound. You sound like you speak from experience, Sergeant. I've had a lot of bad times out here. Can't wait. You know, one week from today, you know where I'm going to be? Uh, changing your tactical diaper? That's classified information, Sergeant. Oh! I'm going to be in Fiji, not worried about a thing. Just me and my PTSD. You, you, is that baggage small enough for carry-on, or do you have to check that? I'm going to signal now. Oh, oh I'm ready. T minus 30. All right. Let's do this, Sergeant. I'm ready. Let's go. Remember three things. Yes. Always change your socks. Socks changing right now. Number number two. Yes. Never never rope your never wrap your rope around your ankle. Got, got it. Will not. Number will three. Not. Yes. Tell number me. Three. I'm ready. I'm ready. This is the last time we talk. Always remember this. Let's, promise me. Let's do it, Sergeant. I swear. You've got to remember. Yes. The talk told to me is a proud member of the Feckless Moans Audio Network. Yeah. I don't know if it was good, but um, that was fun.